You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello, and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network. This is Abby, and I have a very, very special guest here today, a gentleman who needs no introduction. In fact, you'll probably recognize him by me saying his name shortly, a man who refers to the internet as up and coming. His name is Andrew Semple. Andrew, welcome (laughs) to the show. Thank you so much, Abby. Really happy to be here. For sure, for sure. Now, for those guys who don't know Andrew, his reputation actually does precede him. In fact, he was recently highlighted in the Globe and Mail. And for our non-Canadian listeners, the Globe and Mail is actually our national newspaper as the number one analyst on Bay Street. And Andrew, that is very impressive. And I like to say, and from everyone here at Sin, congratulations. Could you tell us a little about it? Thank you so much, Abby. Well, uh, it's something I'm very proud of. Um, you know, I, I took over the cannabis coverage at Echelon Wealth Partners in March of this year. Uh, we, we've really stuck with two themes um, through the course of this year that, that we've been bullish on. And those are the U.S. cannabis MSOs um, and the Canadian cannabis retailers. And within those two themes, uh, we think we've found some of the best operators and certainly in 2020, we saw excellent returns uh, from across our coverage universe. So hats off to those companies who delivered on our aggressive growth forecasts and, uh, and our bullish calls. So uh, look, looking forward to more to come in 2021. That is very impressive. Even after being the number one analyst in all of Canada, he's still so humble and he gives us thanks to the uh, the companies. That's, that's incredible and great to hear. Um, how do you become the number one analyst? Um, <laughs> great question. Um, I, I think you need to, uh, in a certain respect, you gotta, you gotta pick, uh, a theme. You've got to have a theme that works and that resonates with other market, uh, with other market investors. Um, you, you need to, within that theme, find the best companies and then, uh, that are set to help perform. And then you need the market gods to give you a, a, a little stroke <laughs> of luck because, you know, often the most brilliant uh, themes and companies and, and picks uh, don't work out immediately. So, um, you know, very, very fortunate, very happy uh, to see that uh, our p- picks worked out this year. Uh, and, and we think there are good, great things uh, to come from them still. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's always good to be lucky. It's always good to be lucky. And Andrew, actually, so I've been following your research for quite some time. Uh, We actually met at one of uh, Echelon's conferences and, um, you know, I've I've been reading your research for quite some time and you've always had very unique themes. And this is why, you know, this is why I think the Globe has been covering you for so long. And this is also why why, why I really wanted you to come on this podcast, because, you know, MSOs are something that we've talked about quite a bit. Um, but you know, let's let's talk touch on your your other themes that you have. So there was two that really caught my attention, and these are the two that we're going to discuss on this episode. 
The w- first one was Canadian dispensary. So don't count Canada out just yet because Andrew's got a theme here that has that got me excited and got me reinvigorated in looking into Canada. And that was that Canadian dispensaries are significantly undervalued in comparison to their Canadian LP peers. Um, we'll start with that. Uh, so Andrew, how did you come across that? Sure. And, um, you know, I, I'd just like to point out, um, uh, you're absolutely right there that, uh, um, we, we do definitely see a disconnect between the growers and the Canadian retailers. Um, the retailers really stood out to us just looking at their forward growth profile and where the valuations of these retailers were in comparison to the larger cap LPs. Uh, we thought the growth profile of these companies was very simple. You know, it, it follows store openings largely. Um, and we could see the pipelines for these companies in terms of applying for store locations. We could see as they opened stores, their sales and profits were ticking higher. And we had pretty good clarity on, uh, relatively speaking, the, the timing for new store openings. Um, you know, that that hasn't been true in all markets and in all cases. I, I think there's been some, um, some provinces that have been a little bit slow to license things. Uh, but largely speaking, I think that uh, it was very clear that these companies were be- going to be able to grow sales and profitability in a reasonably consistent way. Um, we mm-hmm. haven't seen that necessarily from the upstream LPs, you know, with the exception mm-hmm. of, I-, I think, a handful that have, um, uh, you know, been able to grow sales and, and profitability a little bit more steady. But um, th- there's been some notable exceptions to that, even amongst the largest players in the space. Right. And, and and I recall when I first read your research report, uh, one thing that really got me sort of um, scratching my head was that you were saying that there was a strong correlation between the price performance of dispensaries and Canadian retailers. Right. And then you figured that, you know, Canadian cannabis retailers were much were in a much more favorable position, just sort of what you just um, uh, described. But have you started seeing capital flowing into retailers yet and the decoupling between the retailers and the LP starting to begin? Sure. So let me touch on the correlation aspect first. Um, so w- at the beginning of this year, we looked at how the Canadian cannabis retailers were correlated to the HMMJ ETF, which is largely comprised of um, uh, large cap Canadian cannabis growers. We found that correlation was... Or sorry, I was going to say, and yeah. for some reason, that still seems to be the main ETF that everybody looks at for the for the cannabis industry. Even though there's now MSOS, there's a couple other uh, funds that are out there, but everyone still goes back to the HMMJ, it seems. Yes, yes, that's a, that's a great point. And uh, I would like to point out, uh, you're absolutely right. There's definitely a growing number of ETFs that will allow you to participate uh, in different parts of the cannabis sector. Um, there, there's a variety of ways you can participate in the uh, in the cannabis sector. Um, you've got different geographies, you've got different areas of the value chain you can choose to focus on. Um, and then even companies, uh, you know, that, that have similar geographies or, or operate in a similar part of the value chain, you know, they might have a product that, that targets a different, uh, customer market, you know, some that focus right. more on the medical side and some more on the health and wellness or, or the adult use side. So, um, right. you know, there, there's a lot of different, um, ways to play the cannabis industry. And I, I think HMMJ gets the most attention, uh, mm-hmm. but that's mostly comprised of uh, Canadian large cap growers. 
Um, you know, th there's some CBD and some other stuff in there, uh, but, but largely Canadian large cap growers. Right. Um, and when you and, ran and your correlation, uh, when you ran your correlation, you ran it with the HMMJ and some select names, right? So. Yep. And, and what we found was the correlation was over 90%. And, you know, what, what didn't make sense to us was the valuation of the growers, you know, in terms of forward EBITDA or, or forward price to sales were multitudes higher than the retailers were. Uh, mm -hmm. And in addition to that, if you look at the trailing financial results, you know, the top five growers, if you sum up their Canadian cannabis revenue uh, and you look over the past five or six quarters, on average, you know, that group did not grow sales, uh, net, net cannabis revenues. Um, so, so the results have been very lumpy and there's been no consistent growth trend. Whereas you, you do that to the Canadian cannabis retailers, there has been a consistent growth trend and the valuations are much more reasonable. Um, you know, the, the fact that one group has shown consistency definitely highlights that uh, there's different market dynamics at play, whether you're upstream grower uh, or, or manufacturer or a downstream retailer of, of these products. Uh, and that's one of the things where we thought the market could have been disconnected uh, as these retailers were getting lumped in with, uh, with the growers. Right. And, and just to, so, um, what Andrew, when Andrew's saying is 97% correlation correlation, obviously if you're at a hundred percent correlated, that means if retailers start, or if Canadian LPs start uh, increasing in price, the, uh, dispensaries will also start, uh, increasing in price. If, and then the same thing happens if the LPs start going down, which is something that we've obviously all seen the, the Canadian, uh, dispensaries start going down as well. Um, but where you guys found the d difference was that, you know, the dispensaries were cash flowing, or sorry, they had revenue. Most of them already had a clear path to profitability, and they weren't getting rewarded by the market. For some reason, they were just getting lumped in. So could you just touch on that a little bit, like why you think that they were getting lumped in and uh, why you think no, like nobody else is really talking about this theme? I, I, I just think it's um, it's a little bit smaller than the than the LPs. So, um, you know, the, the even the largest companies by market cap on the retailers um, trade at a fraction of the market cap of some of the largest growers. Um, and when you get smaller cap or mid cap ideas, uh, I, I don't think you have as many people looking at this um, or doing the, as much research as as perhaps that uh, should be done on these names. Uh, and the other thing is, I think with the share prices of many Canadian LPs off, you know, 50% or more, I think people just want to exit everything Canadian cannabis. Um, and I really think those two factors drive uh, the high correlation we saw in 2019 when, when we did this analysis. You know, more recently... Um, we think that that correlation is beginning to, uh, is beginning to ease, um, you know, in the last couple of months or so. So there is growing awareness, uh, that the retailers are, uh, face very different market dynamics than the growers. Uh, and we, and we think this is setting up for a, a decoupling ahead. Uh, we're looking for the retailers to, to really perform in the year ahead. Now I know you obviously you don't have a crystal ball, but um, what's your timeline looking 
uh, for that? Like, when do you think the the dispensaries will actually get the love that they that they deserve? Because you know they are unfortunately, it's like the baby getting thrown out with the bathwater. That's a term that we use here quite a bit. Uh, and th- that case that that phrase couldn't have been even like it's 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 just exactly what's happening with the dispensaries and the LP. So when do you think that the 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 capital inflow will start going towards the uh, the dispensaries? Well, I think a gem for the retail industry in Canada has been Ontario. Um, a lot of retailers have been looking to enter that market. Um, the two companies we cover, Fire and Flower and High Tide, have done an excellent job of positioning themselves in that market, opening licenses and or acquiring individual operators at low multiples. Um, so when we look at 2021, and we look at the pace of licensing in Ontario in recent months, uh, which has picked up substantially, uh, mm-hmm. we think we're really going to see movement on the licensing in the year ahead. And you'll see that start to, uh, you'll see that start to uh, show up in the financial results as these stores open, uh, you're going to right. get co- coinciding increases in, uh, in sales and, and EBITDA. Um, you know, I, I, I think the movements that have happened at in Ontario uh, to, to accelerate licensing, I think that de-risks the outlook ahead uh, for these companies. Um, certainly, I, I think Fire and Flower and High Tide are, are very much vying to reach the 30 store cap uh, that's in place until September. And then you've, right. got, you've got a 75 store cap thereafter. So um, they're, they're very much racing for that. Right. And you, sorry, you touched, you, you mentioned something about multiples there. Now, I don't know if you have this information in front of you, but so like uh, High Tide obviously merged with Meta. So if I say Meta and High Tide, I'll, I use them interchangeably still in my head. Um, so if with High Tide, you got Fire and Flower, what are their multiples, like you know, their 2021 revenue versus, or even EBITDA versus the large cap Canadian LPs? Sure. And, uh, you know, this is one of the things I think in particular for high tide really stands out. Um, high tide trades at a seven times uh, EBITDA multiple based on our 2021 EBITDA estimates. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so seven times forward EBITDA. If you look one year further out than that, they trade at four times our published 2022 estimates for EBITDA. Um, so, so that's quite a low multiple. Uh, mm-hmm. to pay for a retailer. Um, so, you know, we, we think there's definitely room for that to move higher. Uh, we think there's room for that to move higher in the context of um, other high growth retailers outside the Canadian cannabis industry. And mm-hmm. with, even within the industry, uh, Fire and Flower trades at a slight premium to high tide. So uh, high t- or Fire and Flower's multiples being about 11 times 2021 EBITDA, um, and just want to make sure I quote 2022 correctly. I believe it's about uh, and sorry, there, uh, there's not a very deep consensus on 2022, so that, that's why that number is not in my head. <laughs> so, but in any case, I, I, I think, yeah, I, I think for like paying seven times for high tide and eleven times for fire and flower. Uh, when you've you've got very clear catalysts for growth ahead is is very discounted, and when you look at other re- industries outside of Canadian cannabis retail, uh, and you look at high growth retailers that that have similar gross margin profiles, 
that offer consumer staples or consumer discretionary goods of, of similar basket sizes, uh, th those type of retailers tend to trade in the low teens to mid teens uh, in terms of forward EBITDA. Uh, so there's definitely room for both high tide and fire and flower uh, to continue to show appreciation here. For sure. And that's just based off of um, 2021 EBITDA. And just to put into perspective, Canadian large caps, I mean, I don't have the number in front of me, but I, I recall roughly what it was like 30 times 2021 EBITDA sales. Uh, sorry, not EBITDA sales. Thir uh, 30 times 2021 EBITDA uh, was what the average large cap, like that was like the canopies, Afrias, Auroras were trading at, right? Yeah. And, and currently, you know, based on the comp tables we have, we don't actually see any, you know, we, we see only one, um, one of the LPs, one of the large cap LPs being profitable in, in 2021, uh, based on consensus estimates and adjusting that to a calendar year. Uh, so, you know, that's, you know, it's hard to build, <laughs> it's hard to build in <laughs> an average multiple when, when there's only one company, uh, there that's, that's expected to be profitable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It makes it, and this makes is, it a little challenging. <laughs> for sure. And this is why, like, you know, people look at Canada and uh, why capital started to leave Canada was because the LPs didn't deliver and they attracted most of the capital. They attracted most of the attention. If you speak with a lot of people, uh, they still associate Canopy and Aurora and Afria as the cannabis industry. They don't they don't even look at the US MSOs um, or even though like or, or, or anything else. Right. And so this is why this lump in kind of sort of happening. And, you know, if you guys are trading in the, in the, in the open market, this is a, a theme that you should definitely look at. Uh, it shouldn't be, especially if you want exposure to Canada and you want to sort of diver, uh, to sort of take some risk off the table and diversify uh, your holdings, this would be a great theme to play out. Into that, MSOs are all the rage right now. What do you, like, what's your thoughts versus the MSO strategy versus this strategy right now, Andrew? Just like, if you want to just touch high level, kind of go into whatever your thoughts are on it. Yeah. Uh, and, and thanks for that. That was very well put, Abby. Um, so, so moving now to the MSOs, um, it, it's been an incredibly hot sector over the, over the past couple of months. Um, we've certainly seen an acceleration in the capital markets uh, for the share prices of these companies since the November election. Uh, we think the recent uh, wins by the Democratic Party, which tend to be cannabis friendly, uh, accelerate the prospects of federal cannabis reform that we may see in 2021. Um, so that that would be very supportive of of the U.S. cannabis industry, uh, where some of the biggest headaches continue to uh, to stem from the current federal uh, federal cannabis uh, regulations. So we're we're looking for the momentum to continue in 2021. Um, definitely, you know, we, we've seen a strong move, uh, but we don't think that that tells, we, we don't think the moves to date tell the whole story. And, and there's certainly room for upside uh, for many of the companies in the U.S. cannabis industry, uh, particularly the ones we cover uh, where, where right. we have bullish recommendations. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll leave the the names that you cover for the second half of the episode where we're going to talk, where we're going to really dive down on the MSOs. Um, let's, let's just kind of go over, um, 
High Tide, which is kind of which is my favorite uh, dispensary here in in Canada in terms of an investor perspective, uh, and I really like them because they have this platform called High Fire, which is uh, a software that you guys have heard me talk about. It's sort of it seems to be a tech angle that uh, isn't really a tech angle, but uh, you know they're doing a really good job on it, and they've sort of <clears throat> they've been able to scale a lot quicker than most other dispensaries. Um, Andrew, do you want, I know you cover High Tide. Do you want to kind of give a quick overview of, you know, why you like High Tide uh, as well as what your thoughts are on this High Fire platform? Sure. So, and just a quick correction there. Uh, I, I believe the High Fire platform's under the Fire and Flower umbrella, um, but it, it would be something. Oh, yes, very right. Much want to you're talk. right. You're right. Yes, it is Fire no, and Flower. I, I do it really. Fire and flower. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's uh you know, sometimes it's hard to keep track of these companies given how, how much growth and, you know, the the amount of progress they've made. And, um, uh, you know, it, it seems like business lines are coming out of nowhere. Uh, these companies move so quickly. But um, certainly, sure. I, I do want to spend some time on Fire and Flower and uh, and the High Tide platform or, or the High Fire platform. High Fire. And, 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 and I do want to correct you. Sorry, and, yeah, um, yeah, and I just want to say it's because I have I have my notes up here. Um, Fire and Flower is my favorite dispenser here, not High Tide. High Tide, the Meta merger was was great, but I th- I feel that Fire and Flower was already uh, light years ahead. That's what I meant to say. I, I, I for me, it's my notes here just switched on me, but yeah. So Fire and Flower, High Fire platform. Sure, and on the High Fire platform, I I think that's a very advanced digital offering. Uh, the company and management have a, a vision for retail 2.0 where they see uh, high fire being the digital infrastructure that connects um, consumers to the brick and mortar retail experience, but also to an online and, and digital ecosystem uh, that supports that. Um, so, so higher, the high fire platform is, you know, there's, there's numerous offerings under that. There's a, there's a data analytics offering, uh, that, that's made available to industry participants. Um, there's an inventory management and, and in, in-store screen uh, displays and, and e-commerce and kiosks, uh, sorry, uh, digital kiosks that, that occur in the stores. Um, and then you've also got other other initiatives underway uh, to, to expand that out um, into more of a marketing platform as well. And then I, I think one of the more valuable aspects of that high fire platform uh, to Fire and Flower has been its Sparks Perks membership program, which has expanded tremendously uh, these past 12 months, uh, particularly at, you know with, with COVID and, and some store shutdowns um, mm-hmm. across the country or earlier this year. Uh, we, we saw a big increase in, in the number of users registering to that Sparks Perks program. Uh, which which helps them capture um, additional customer spend. Um, so so all around, it's a very strong platform for the company, uh, and, and will help them uh, be a next generation retailer. And do you think they will uh, they'll use that? Do you think they'll start licensing that platform to other dispensaries uh, or selling like data or, or whatnot? Like what what do you think they're um, their, their strategy is with the high fire platform. So definitely I, I think commercializing that is well underway. Uh, that, that offering is already being made to other retailers. Uh, they, they brought in Kova software, which is also helping them 
uh, expand their their reach into new dispensaries and, and get that uh, get the high fire program up and running within those third party stores. I, I believe you know that there are numerous opportunities to expand this still. Um, much of the current commercial traction has been on the on the data monetization side of it. Um, and while there's room for that to continue to expand, uh, they, they can definitely continue to, uh, I, I think there's still low hanging fruit to continue to push into new dispensaries or even new industries. Uh, frankly, I think this is, uh, such a sophisticated platform that it could find, mm -hmm. uh, it could find use in other industries. Um, oh, you know, wow. to that end, we would point out that the company has Kush Tard as a strategic partner and a strategic investor. Um, so, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about how, how that could work and with, within the context of a, uh, Kush Tard relationship and, um, you know, whether Kush Tard can make use of that in their store networks. Um, we, we certainly yeah, think that that's a possibility. Huge. That would be huge. I never even considered that. I always, I always lumped in the high fire platform with just cannabis, but you're right. That opens up, um, an opportunity to scale significantly larger than just within our sector, right? Go, go broad and uh, Kushtard uh, is, is nationwide. Yeah. Oh, no, I, for I sure. Think they're in the and, States um, too, right? Circle K, I think yeah, they're called yeah. in the States. Yeah, yeah they are. And, and there's nothing uh, There's nothing preventing um, the high fire platform ex from expanding into the U.S. So, um, you know, that, that could be something we see in the upcoming year. Um, we're not sure. We're not aware of any plans of that. Um, but, but we w definitely would not be surprised uh, to see that roll out more aggressively in 2021. Wow, that's impressive, yeah. <clears throat> so there you have it. On the Canadian side, don't, can don't count Canada out just yet. There is still some opportunity here. Uh, we think, um, you know, I, I really like this theme. I like this, this strategy. Uh, if you guys are looking to uh, a couple of names, this will be all in the description as well. We're going to link some uh, uh, research reports that Andrew has written uh, for both uh, High Tide as well as Fire and Flower. Um, now let's get on to the exciting stuff, which is what's on everybody's mind. Uh, MSOs, they seem to be all the rage. Last week was crazy. Um, you know, uh, two weeks ago, we had Georgia go blue. Um, you know, there's just so many catalysts that have happened. Um, you know, Andrew, give us a quick little overview on how you're looking at the MSOs. Sure. And uh, apologies, may have jumped the gun on this earlier. It, it is such an exciting sector. It's, it's hard to <laughs> on it. So, um, couldn't you know, contain it, your excitement. Couldn't, couldn't, could not contain the excitement. So, um, you know, we, again, as I said earlier, uh, we, we have seen impressive movements in the capital markets for many of these companies. Uh, we think it's well deserved. We, we think the prospect of accelerated federal cannabis reform is very much on the table for 2021. Uh, we think, you know, uh, the Safe Banking Act could substantially lower the cost of capital for these businesses. Uh, we think the Moore Act uh, could also do the same while, while also uh, potentially removing IFRS uh, Section 280E tax penalties on these businesses, uh, meaning more cash flow goes to shareholders and, and is available to pay, uh, make interest payments. Uh, so, so these companies could afford a little bit more debt and reduce their, um, uh, you know, le lever up their balance sheets a little bit more. Um, so, so there's lots of potential opportunity on the federal side of things. And then, um, you know, start starting to look at some of the markets, 
Uh, we think 2021 is going to be an amazing year for the New Jersey cannabis market. Uh, the most recent round of uh, licenses that were issued, those operators are starting to come online. You'll start to see that uh, show up in the in the results of the New Jersey market, um, w- which has historically been significantly underserved. Uh, we think as those that incremental product comes online, uh, it, it will be uh, you'll see some great growth out of that market. You know, Illinois is also setting up incredibly well. Uh, finished off 20, 2020 with the with an excellent uh, with an excellent year. You know that market is already surpassed one billion dollars of sales uh, within the first year of that adult use market being online. We we think twenty twenty one has much more to offer, and then you know a, a market like Pennsylvania, uh, which just continues to blow past you know every market forecast out there. Uh, probably a market that's well over a billion dollars in run rate already. Uh, we look mm-hmm. forward to what 2021 has in store. So, you know, on, on the federal side, on the on the ground operations, and then I, I think you saw a lot of capital raising these past couple of weeks. We believe that also fuels m For sure. Uh, so, so we think m is definitely going to heat up in 2021 as well. So lots to look forward to. It's going to be it's going to be a busy year for these companies. That's exciting. That's very exciting. Lots to look forward to. Let's dive down a little bit on these. So when we were chatting earlier, um, you were calling New Jersey, Illinois, Pennsylvania, sort of high quality markets. Obviously, we'll lump Florida in there as well. I know you didn't mention Florida, um, but Florida is like the, yep. the, the apple of the eye of the cannabis industry truly even Kim have just absolutely been dominating uh, actually it's it, they've done so well I that mean. yeah truly yeah I was gonna say truly um like numbers have become an adjective in the industry you know I was on a conference and I heard a lot of buy side guys just being like <laughs> oh like these guys can achieve truly truly like numbers and Kim actually was like, well, what does that mean? They're like, oh, well, you have like 50% uh, gross profit margins, like and just going about it. And so it's just good to see that, uh, you know, people are shifting away from canopy, but uh, canopy in general. But you mentioned something to me that sort of right before this episode that sort of sparked my interest, where you were saying that a lot of investors, smart institutional money is still behind the eight ball. Can you sort of elaborate on that? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think what we've seen so far and the participants so far in the U.S. cannabis industry has been a fairly narrow group. Um, there are a, there's a lot of institutional capital um, through their own compliance committees or, or their own um, rules or, um, you know, their own standards have chosen or choose not to invest in the U.S. cannabis industry. Uh, we think as U.S. federal cannabis reform progresses this year, uh, there's certainly going to be a lot of players doing their homework. Um, and if we see that these companies are cleared for an uplisting onto a major exchange, we think that's enough for for major U.S. institutional capital uh, to begin taking a, uh, a, a serious look at, at building an ownership stake in these businesses. Um, so there's definitely the potential mm-hmm. to see a lot more institutional capital uh, flow into the space. Um, you know, not to say that there hasn't been institutional capital already. It's just been a narrow group of companies, or, or sorry, a narrow group of investors 
um, who, who have done mm-hmm. very well for themselves. So um, we, we look for that. To for sure. Out. For sure. And um, <clears throat> our listeners here have heard me and Manish uh, chat about this quite a bit. The uplisting will sort of give the entire sector another re-rating. So that's another catalyst sort of to look forward to. That's got us excited. Uh, that's got us staying in the game and fully invested. Um, it, one thing that you pointed out there, Andrew, because a lot of institutional money is still sitting on the sideline, that gives investors like us, the retail guys, a little bit of an advantage right now. You know, very seldomly in any sector can you uh, get more information than some of these uh, larger institutional funds. Um, that window is closing. Like you said, you know, there's a lot of catalysts coming up. And when the uplist is happening, uh, when the uplist does happen, we can sort of, um, you know, that, that gap's going to get smaller and smaller. Yep. Um, and so with that, you know, we always want to stay very educated keep our thumb on the pulse. Now let's dive into those high quality markets you were talking about. So let's start with New Jersey. What are some, um, some, some, some exciting players uh, that, that, you know, that are in New Jersey that you're looking at that you like? Sure. And um, you know, I, I've got to start with Terrison here. It's our most recent initiating of coverage uh, company. Uh, we launched coverage in November. <laughs> it's, it's got some of the largest proportional uh, exposure to the New Jersey cannabis market. Uh, of any of the publicly traded companies. Uh, we think it's going to be a massive market opportunity for, for Terrasend. Um, you know, the, the company is building scale in that market. They, they just recently announced completing expansion of their phase two cultivation facility, bringing them up to 120,000 square foot feet of uh, canopy, of cultivation canopy within a larger 140,000 square foot building. Um, so, so they'll have a ton of capacity in that market. Um, it, it's significantly undersupplied. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so we think that, uh, th- there's going to be, uh, retailers, uh, both medical and adult use, uh, when that market comes online, uh, that will be eagerly awaiting that, that incremental supply. Uh, so, so we think it's going to be an excellent market for the company to develop its branded products. Um, Similarly, we, we cover a handful of other companies that are also uh, developing operations in that state, uh, Green Thumb Industries, uh, Columbia Care, and Air Strategies uh, are, are also looking to expand in that market in a big way. Um, so, you know, it, it's, set, it's setting up to be in a, in a very strong market for these participants. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that there are only 12 medical licenses issued in that state. And oh, sorry, Andrew. We, Andrew, I think you might have cut out. Andrew, you might have cut out there. Can you just go back in there when you you just mentioned uh, air strategies and you said uh, um, one thing, and then I think you just cut out there for yeah. a sec. Well, one thing to keep in mind is that um, you know there are only twelve medical cannabis licenses licensees in this state. Um, so so the so there's only a very narrow opportunity set um, for investors looking to participate in these markets. So um, we think this this could be a huge market with only a few players. Um, and it could be the case that, uh, in fact, we, we expect it to be the case that the, the companies who are licensed in that market, uh, who are capable operators will have a tremendous opportunity in front of them. Uh, we think easily the adult use market there could be north of a billion dollars in sales. And if you Mm -hmm. think of that in the context of only 12 growers in that market of substantial size, uh, you know, certainly for the first year of the adult use program, they will be the only game in town. We think the players there will will generate excellent results. 
um, for themselves and for shareholders. So it's going to be a great market. For sure. For sure. And, um, you know, you mentioned obviously Air, Columbia Care, GTI, as well as uh, Terrasend, all great picks. Um, of the four that you mentioned so far, you know, Terrasend seems to be the leader in New Jersey. Um, you know, what are the challenges that you think that Air, Columbia Care, and GTI are going to have uh, as Terrasend sort of continues uh, to go? Yeah. So I, I would say that, like, I, I think all those companies are, are still very much ramping up. Uh, so you'll you'll just start to see, you know, Q1, Q2 for most of those companies, um, mm-hmm. you know, starting to, to ramp revenues. Um, you know, where we would choose Terrasend is that that's one of Terrasend's core markets. Whereas uh, if you're looking at like a Columbia Care or a GTI, um, you know, it, it's one of several of those companies' core markets. Um, gotcha. so, so, you know, when it, where we say Terrasend has the largest proportional exposure, you know, if, if you want to own exposure to the New Jersey cannabis market, Terrasend makes the most sense to do that if you want right. an outsized exposure there. Um, but, but frankly, we think all the, all these companies are, are very credible operators. Um, you know, I would just give the edge to Terrasend. You know, they're, they're certainly committed to building a Northeastern hub, uh, of, of high quality States, uh, that are that are in in the process of or look like they may soon transition to adult use markets. So um, it's, it, Terrasend looks extremely well positioned. Gotcha. And um, you know, Terrasend's had a little bit of a run up. The valuation um, I feel is a little bit high personally. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I've I've seen this. You know, I get that pushback a lot from from the buy side. I, I think most people are looking at the 2021 numbers, and you know, the 2021 sales and or EBITDA uh, multiples are a little bit higher than peers, uh, based on consensus. You know, they do trade at 10 times 2021 sales and 26 times 2021 EBITDA. Again, that's based on consensus. Um, you know, where I would point people, is, you know, where I point to is for investors to start looking at uh, 2022 numbers. Um, and in that sense, we're a little bit above the consensus estimates there. So based on our estimates, um, we actually think Terrasend trades at or below the peer group. Um, okay. So, you know, I'm just pulling up these multiples here. Sure. Give yeah. me a sec. So, so based on our estimates, Terrasend trades at about 13.3 times, or, or sorry, uh, Excel is just updating, trades at 17 times 2022 20, estimates. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we look at the peer group, they're at 16 times, but you're owning incredibly high quality states that are, uh, that are in the process or, or ramping up or, or transitioning towards adult use sales. Uh, so, you know, that's not much of a premium. And in fact, it's, it's almost, you know, we would say that's in line, um, and you're getting these incredible markets. So, uh, we think Terrasend makes a lot of sense. Um, to continue to hold or, or accumulate shares of. Um, but yes, we, we would have to acknowledge that it's had an, an incredible run. Uh, it's probably the best performing stock in the U.S. cannabis industry uh, mm-hmm. uh, since, since, March of, since March of last year. So, um, you know, it, it has been an incredible run. For sure, for sure. And, and you know, I, I think you looking at the 2022 uh, definitely makes sense. 
um, sort of going on to your other high quality market. You mentioned Illinois. Uh, Illinois, obviously, <clears throat> blockbuster numbers coming out of them on their first year of legalization. Uh, who are some exciting players that you like that are out there uh, in Illinois right now? Yeah, it's, it, it's, I just want to say like the, the numbers out of Illinois have been incredible, especially when you think of you know how, how few dispensaries are open. Um, and, and you start looking at the numbers that are being generated in that market, and, and it's just incredible. Um, so, so definitely the top players in that market. Uh, we'd have to name Cresco uh, Labs as one of the largest suppliers of, of branded cannabis products. Uh, they've been crushing it. Uh, you can see it in their most recent uh, financial results. Uh, you know, in the last quarter, they had quarter over quarter sales growth of north of sixty percent. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, capital intensive businesses are not supposed to be able mm-hmm. to grow like that. <laughs> so uh, it's very true. And yeah, so not surprisingly, they uh, they caught us off guard and and blew past our estimates. So um, we we continue to expect great things to come out of Illinois. I think the next round of growth that we're looking for is going to come from uh, when these, when the next round of dispensaries opens up. Uh, that will give the growers in that market, uh, companies such as Cresco and Green Thumb, mm-hmm. that will give them the next round of uh, uh, opportunity to expand their their wholesale capabilities. Um, so we're looking for those next round of non vertically integrated retail licenses uh, to, to start opening up uh, to really continue to drive the wholesale market forward. Uh, and then on the retail side, we, we think growth is uh, very much driven by, by um, again, store openings, uh, as mm-hmm. well as you know, existing dispensaries maintaining very high levels of sales um, and- across, across the state. Mm-hmm. And when do you think the next round of non-vertically integrated licenses are going to come to fruition for Illinois? Well, we were expecting to see them, uh, you know, um, maybe towards the end of this year and then maybe early or, or sorry, maybe towards the end of 2020. Then we were expecting them kind of early 2021 and, and that process keeps getting delayed. So, um, you know, we'll, I would like to say we'll see them when we'll see them. Um, hopefully, you know, I think we'll start seeing those doors start opening um, towards the end of 2021. Uh, would be my guess. Um, I'd be thrilled if they opened sooner. Um, Mm -hmm. Even without that next round of licensing being issued, uh, I would also point out that there's still a number of dispensaries uh, that are licensed today that that have yet to open in that market. Um, So so we look forward to those those stores also opening as well. Um, And is that rollout going to happen like quite slowly? Like what... um... Like, what's the timeline for these dispensaries that already have the licenses that are opening up? Obviously, with COVID, they've probably been delayed a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair comment. So I, I would say it's gradual. I would say it's gradual through Q1, Q2, uh, and Q3. And then hopefully you'll get the you'll get another big uptick uh, as the next round of licenses are issued and, and those operators begin opening, uh, opening their doors, uh, kind of Q4 and Q1, 21 or Q122. Uh, that would be gotcha. my best guess. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's a very, um, very well-educated guess. So there is still some catalysts coming out for Illinois. Uh, you know, we can, we see the, the growth to just continue to go as it's, uh, you know, a billion dollars in sales is no easy number. Um, you know, we can't really put a number on what they're going to do in uh, 2021. Um, but 
there is some exciting stuff around the corner and uh, still still a state that we really like. And uh, it's good to see that you, you like it as well. Um, the last state you mentioned was Pennsylvania. Um, so Pennsylvania, do you want to touch a little bit about that? That's like, a, you know, yeah. that's like a, a it just recently came online. So, you know, you can start high level. Yep. Dig yeah. deeper if you like. Yes. So, you know, I, I think the, this market has certainly blown by uh, market forecasts. I think if you look at some reputable companies that, that have put out forecasts like ArcView and, and MJ Biz, you know, they were expecting Pennsylvania to be four hundred to, to five hundred or six hundred million uh, in sales for the next couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. we, we saw a huge demand spike uh, beginning this summer uh, in, in summer of twenty twenty that's carried through through the remainder of the year. And we think that market is easily operating in a run rate in excess of a billion dollars of of retail sales. And for you know the, the vertically integrated companies there that are both uh, doing an excellent job of on the on the retail dispensary side, as well as benefiting from uh, incredible demand on the wholesale side, uh, right. they they've generated huge numbers in that state. Um, so. You know, anecdotally, what what we hear is all incremental production is, is being immediately sold out as soon as it gets to market, um, and, and only <laughs> half, have. yeah, and, and only half the number of dispensaries that are licensed in that state are, are currently open, or a little bit more than half now. But um, it, it definitely signals as new dispensaries open, uh, th- there's just going to be continued incredible demand for cannabis products in that state, um, and uh, uh, we think that's very supportive of the wholesale side of the business. And then again, uh, as you open new stores, th- that will also support uh, the retail operators who own those stores uh, and, con- and continue to grow the market. So uh, plenty, plenty of opportunity for growth in, in 2021 ahead. Gotcha. And if you were looking to play the Pennsylvania market, um, who are some exciting players that you like? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of... Uh, companies that we cover that are currently in that market. Um, Terrasend's one of the largest suppliers, uh, as is Cresco Labs, one of the largest suppliers of branded cannabis products across the industry. We think Green Thumb is exceptionally well positioned as uh, as being vertically integrated. Uh, we're seeing TrueLeave announce an acquisition to enter that market. Uh, Air Strategies also closed an acquisition to enter that market. Um, so so there's, there's a lot of uh, and I should also mention Columbia Care also closed na- or also announced an acquisition to become uh, vertically integrated within that market. Um, so, so really across our U.S. cannabis coverage, uh, all all those companies have exposure to that market. Uh, they, uh, for those who acquired assets there, they paid very reasonable prices to enter that market. Um, mm-hmm. So, really, I, I don't I don't think you can go wrong. Um, right. You know. You know. If you want a large proportional exposure. Again, I, I think TerraSense stands out as having a very concentrated portfolio in the Northeast. Um, right. So, so that's another, that's another name that stands out to us. Um, you know, if, if you want, ex, you know, if you want exposure to high quality markets without paying maybe that multiple, um, you should look at one of our top picks, which is air strategies. Uh, you know, we think, uh, they will do in Pennsylvania what they have already done in Nevada and Massachusetts and all the other markets where, where they're currently looking to open um, o- 
enhance operations of the assets that they acquire. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, if we look at their strategies, they trade at uh, at just seven times our 2022 EBITDA multiple. And, you know, with the peer group now 16 or, or 17 times 2022 EBITDA, um, that, that's a substantial discount. Uh, so there's definitely room for, uh, for air to, to continue to catch up on a multiple basis while you're getting these, the exposure to these excellent markets such as Pennsylvania. And yeah, Andrew, Air is actually a really good name. I got introduced to it back in August. It was about $9 or so, and uh, you cover it quite extensively. So I read a lot of your research report. It just further reinforced everything uh, we liked about it. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, they've, they've, been, they've, been, they've been doing fantastic. They've been on an M&A spree. Uh, they recently got into Florida. They're in Nevada, Massachusetts. Um, you know, Massachusetts cannabis wasn't even essential, and they still came out with, uh, with, with blockbuster numbers. And then now you're adding Pennsylvania to it. Um, would you say that, is it safe to say that Air is probably your top pick out of all the cannabis names? Um, if not, like, what is your top pick? Sure. And uh, we do have three top picks on the cannabis industry and AIR is certainly one of them. Uh, so, so our three top picks mm-hmm. are Green Thumb Industries, AIR Strategies, and High Tide. Uh, so within that, you've got a large cap uh, U.S. cannabis, you've got a mid cap U.S. cannabis, and you've got a, a small to mid cap Canadian cannabis retailer. Um, but, but turning back to AIR, I, I, I think personally, I, I think AIR was one of the Best calls I made in uh, in 2020. Uh, we nominated it mm-hmm. as a top pick in July of last year. Uh, you know, one of the tenets of our thesis on air was we thought the company was going to be able to to deliver on M and A. Uh, frankly, we think that was a non consensus view um, when when people looked at mm-hmm. air and they saw, well, this company trades at only four and a half times forward EBITDA. It only has ten million of cash on its balance sheet. Um, how is this company going to be able to cover, uh, acquire other companies and do it in, a, in a, an accretive way? Um, and I think we laid out our case for how they could do that. Uh, they could leverage uh, the free cash flows they were generating. They could make use of seller notes, and then they could acquire businesses uh, using a mix of cash, seller notes, and, and stock. Uh, to do it at a creative valuation. Um, and, and you've certainly seen that play out through 2020. Uh, the company has entered five new markets. Uh, all of them are excellent. We think they're very high quality states. Uh, they offer air the chance to be vertically integrated, uh, w- which is really, uh, as they've demonstrated in Nevada and, and Massachusetts, uh, part, of their core compensa- part of their core competency is to be um, uh, to manage that vertically vertically integrated operations very, very smoothly, um, making sure that they have their own branded cannabis products on their own dispensary shelves while also satisfying the, the wholesale market opportunity. Um, so, so we think that the re- recent M&A is going to be um, it, excellent additions to the portfolio uh, for the company. Uh, and, and then, you know, as I said, um, they're, they're only trading at seven and a half times their 2020 EBITDA, uh, which leaves plenty of room for upside. So, uh, for sure, for sure. And, you know, um, yeah, yeah, that's excellent. And, uh, for sure. And so I I agree with you. I, uh, air is one of, one of, one of my favorite picks over here. Um, you recently gave a price target on air. I mean, I don't know if you're comfortable sharing that, you know, 
price targets are just they're, they're price targets based off of uh, models that uh, investment bankers run. Um, do you want to just kind of talk about your price target? It was uh, it, it got me excited on it nonetheless. So uh, yeah, but I, I, you know, if you're on here, I have, I have to ask you about it. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'd be comfortable sharing that. You know, I, I would just add, uh, obviously in a podcast format, you're not, you're not getting all the models and estimates that back this up. Um, but, but I wouldn't, uh, I, I would highlight, we recently raised our price target on air to $63 Canadian per share. Uh, when our, our valuation there is based on a DCF model, um, we use a 12% discount rate and a 20 times uh, terminal year exit multiple applied to free cash flow. So 20, 20 times free cash flow multiple in the terminal year. Um, and, and through this, uh, we, we arrive at our $63 price target. Um, frankly, we, we still think that this valuation leaves air at a discount to peers. Um, if we were to apply a similar terminal year multiple as we do to the peer group at 25 times uh, free cash flow, in the terminal year, uh, we could actually see AIR's target price going to, uh, sorry, the, the DCF valuation going closer to $77 per share, uh, which was something else we, we published in our, in our last research note. So, um, certainly significant potential for upside, um, in our model, uh, we are looking for the company to close pending acquisitions. Uh, so we're more comfortable in our forward outlook. Um, we're looking for liquidity in the shares to continue to improve. They, they have improved substantially over the last six months. Uh, and we think uh, room for further improvement still over the coming year. And, uh, and we look for the company to deliver on integrating the operations it has acquired. Um, we, we think all of these will be catalysts for the shares. And then, of course, it shares some of the similar industry-wide catalysts on the federal, on the federal reform side of things as well as markets uh, transitioning to adult use sales or, or continuing, continuing to grow uh, up at a rate above what is currently expected. So uh, plenty of upside on that name uh, above and beyond what, what we're looking at. Excellent, excellent. And just so everyone knows, we're recording this on Sunday, January 17th. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to go out. Air closed on uh, Friday, January 15th at about $35. Um, so, you know, Tons of upside potential over here. One thing, Andrew, before we uh, we we sign off over here, a lot of people sort of um, look down on air for their warrant overhang, right? They have a lot of outstanding warrants. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think I think you got a taste of uh, you know how management plans to uh, deal with the warrant overhang uh, in December. Uh, in December of 2020, management announced that they would offer up to 3 million warrant holders, uh, up to 3 million warrants to be exercised at $11 a share instead of the stated price of $11.50 per share, uh, as long as those are exercised in cash. Um, the reason management did this is uh, they wanted to encourage warrant holders to exercise for cash so that they had the cash on their balance sheet available uh, to do things such as uh, go out and acquire other companies, which, which we've certainly seen a lot of, um, and, and fund the capex uh, needed after they acquired those companies. Um, so, you know, we, we think that was a very intelligent way to deal with the warrants, um, reduce the liquidity impact that uh, exercising so many warrants may have had. Uh, it, it offered 
or incentivize warrant holders to exercise for cash uh, because currently warrant holders have the option to do it on a cash or cashless basis. Um, and, and we think there's the potential that air could do this again, uh, in the future to, to help it raise additional cash proceeds and these kind of staggered, uh, incentives, uh, could be, you know, could be a very smart way for management to deal with the potential liquidity impact, as well as to ensure that warrants are exercised for cash so that they can be reinvested mm-hmm. in the business. Um, so, so, so that's what we would look for going ahead, uh, potentially another, uh, another incentive period, but, um, you know, uh, I, I don't think that they immediately need cash on the balance sheet right now. Uh, so, so there may be other, uh, alternatives they look mm-hmm. at as well. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. And, uh, well, yeah, there you guys have it. Um, Andrew Semple from Echelon Wealth, top analyst on Bay Street, recently coveted by Globe and Mail. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. Um, you know We're going to put a links to your research report over here as well. And if you guys have any questions, please feel free to reach out, cinpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and uh, until next time. Thanks so much, Abby, and uh, keep doing the great work you do on this uh, on this channel. So. Uh, hats off to you. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should seek individualized advice from, from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for all investors.